Good morning, everybody. It's exciting to be able to worship with you, and I always look forward to diving into God's Word with all of you. So let's join our hearts together in prayer as we get ready to do that today. Let's pray. Almighty God, this day may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Some time ago, I had a chance to share with a few of you about a particular camping and hiking experience that I had many years ago with some friends of mine from seminary. And what was memorable about that camping and hiking experience is that it was really the uh, equivalent of a National Lampoon's Christmas or holiday vacation kind of thing, because we were just really this stumbling, bumbling kind of a group. Uh, there were three of us who were on the trip at that time. It was my one friend, Danny. And the thing with Danny was that instead of bringing proper hiking attire, specifically a hiking bag or backpack, he brought what was the equivalent uh, really of a suitcase on wheels that for some reason seemed to have straps on it. And so I remember him literally going through the woods, carrying this thing on his back. We were about half a mile into our trip when one of the straps broke. Uh, now, somehow he managed to thread it back together and put it on. I'm still not sure how he did that, but there he is going through the woods, carrying essentially a suitcase on his back. Uh, then there was our friend Eric. And Eric's thing was being afraid of the cold. And so he kept wondering, had we brought enough warm clothes? Had we brought enough blankets with us? Were we going to freeze overnight? He just kept bringing that up over and over again. Not only that, but for Eric that night, he was particularly memorable on the trip because as he went to brush his teeth that evening in the dark, when he reached into his bag, instead of grabbing a tube of toothpaste, instead he grabbed a tube of Bengay and put that on his toothbrush and then brushed his teeth. And you can imagine how that went over. So we never let him forget that. But then there was me. And my big thing was, are we gonna have enough water to drink? And I don't know why I was so scared or so paranoid that we were gonna run out of water. And so every time we came across any stream, any brook, or sometimes even a mud puddle, I'd be like, maybe we should stop and get a drink or put it in one of our containers or whatever, just in case we need it for later. I was absolutely paranoid that we would have enough water for the trip. So there was Danny with his suitcase on his back. There was Eric being worried about the cold and using Bengay as toothpaste. And then there was me being worried about the water. Now, the reality is I didn't have a lot to worry about with the water. We were in the woods. There was always going to be some source of water to drink. I really didn't have much to worry about. But that was not the case for the Israelites in Scripture here this morning. For them, not having enough water was a really, really big deal. They did have a lot to worry about because here they are. They are out in the middle of a desert. There is nothing around as far as their eye can see. They're thirsty. It's hot. It's the baking desert all around them. And there's a lot of people. It might have been upwards of two million Israelites out there, and there's no source of water in sight. What in the world are they going to do? Now, if you've been with us these last number of weeks, you might remember we are in the book of Exodus, the second book found in Scripture, found in the Bible. And throughout this series, we are exploring where God meets us in difficult and hard and desert-like places. 
And if you've been following along with us and you hear the scripture this morning, you might almost start to feel a sense of, here we go again. (laughs) Because yet again, we're going to find and hear the Israelites complaining and griping about the situation which they find themselves in. And man, it is start to being a growing list of the same thing over and over. So the people are slaves, they complain, God sets them free. Then the people of God are leaving Egypt behind. There's a Red Sea in front of them and the Egyptian army behind them, and they complain and gripe for God to get them out of that predicament. And then there's another time where they're facing issues of starvation and they don't think they're going to make it, and they complain and they gripe again to God. Yet again here this morning, in a precarious situation, we find the Israelites complaining and griping to God. If you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to share with me or read the words on the screen. But in Exodus chapter 17, verses 1 to 3, this is what we hear. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. And Moses replied, I just imagine he's so weary and he's so tired at this point. Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Here we are again grumble, complain, gripe. There's a part of me that wants to just cry out, why don't you get it, Israelites? Time after time after time, God has provided for you. So why are you complaining again? Why are you griping again? Why are you blaming again? But on the other hand, I kind of get it. In some sense, the Israelites might feel like their nine lives, as it were, are almost getting used up. I mean, there are a lot of them out there, and they're in the desert, and there's no water in sight, and their throats are already parched, and it's not looking good. What are they going to do? But in the midst of these difficult circumstances, they raise a question, and it's a question for them, and it's a question for us, and the question is this. Even in those difficult circumstances, for them, for us, Will we choose to believe the Lord is among us even when we cannot see a way forward? Let me say that again. Will we choose to believe the Lord is among us even when we cannot see a way forward? One of the things that's happening here this morning for the Israelites is they may have experienced God in the past, but this is a fresh set of circumstances. The danger is real, and however God has provided for them in the past, I'm sure their memory is short at this point. And on the surface, this sounds like a complaint against being thirsty, but it's really not a complaint about being thirsty. It's really a complaint against God. And God, where are you in the midst of this? And God, why did you bring us here? Look what it says in Exodus chapter 17, verse 7. And he, that is Moses, called the place Massa and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us now or not? 
It's not just a question of God, are you going to provide water for us? It's a question of God, are you with us in the midst of our searching, our thirsting, our grumbling, our griping? And it's not just a question for the Israelites, it's a question for us. Is the Lord among us when we're about to die of thirst? Is the Lord among us when there doesn't seem to be any way forward with all this COVID stuff? Is the Lord among us when our political parties can't seem to agree on anything? Is the Lord among us when we don't understand what's going on around us? Is the Lord among us as we're trying to figure out how to move back into school life? Is the Lord among us when finances are so tight? Is the Lord among us when there's so many transitions going on all around us? Is the Lord among us when life is so tough? Is the Lord among us when? Fill in the blank, whatever it is for us. On the surface, this looks like a water question, a thirst question. In reality, this is a faith question that the Israelites are asking. Lord, are you among us in these hard times or not? Will we choose to believe even when life gets tough, even when it seems like there's no way forward? This is the question the Israelites are asking this morning. Notice the names of the places that are given here this morning, Massa and Meribah. This is not an accident. Massa means to test. Meribah means to quarrel. These people are testing and quarreling Moses and God. It's about more than water. It's about doubt. It's about struggle. It's about blame. Can't you just hear them? You can almost hear their whining voices to Moses here this morning. Moses, do you really know what you're doing? Is this where we're supposed to be? You know, back at the cactus patch, we went left. I think we should have gone right. Why are we here again? It's just been one struggle after another, after another, after another. Are are you sure you heard God right, Moses? Is this really where we're supposed to be? This is crazy, Moses. Do something. Make this go away. Life was better where we were before than it is here. And on and on, is the Lord among us or not? Can you imagine poor Moses? It's just his word against the long, endless stretches of baking sand. Man, he was in a difficult spot. It's not really a water issue, it's a faith issue. You hear all the quarreling that's going on and all the blaming going on in this passage. This word for quarrel, It's an interesting word, and it's used multiple times in this passage. In the Hebrew, the word for quarrel means to bring a charge against or to institute legal proceedings. It is a summons before a bar of justice. Think of it as a large court case where charges are being brought against somebody. And really, Moses here is actually being accused of manslaughter before the manslaughter actually happens. The Israelites are saying to him, why'd you bring us out here to die, Moses? And they want to get their licks in before they actually die. Look what it says in Exodus chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. It says, they said, Moses, why did you bring us up out of Egypt? to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. This is not a water issue. It is a faith issue resulting in a charging issue. The Israelites are bringing a charge of offense against the people. And you hear it from Moses this morning as he cries out to God, Lord, these people, they're going to stone me. 
my life is in jeopardy. They're, going, they're, they're blaming me and they're, they're ready to take my head off. Now, I want to pause here for just a moment. And I just want to ask all of us to, just to take a step back and examine our own lives for a moment. Are we much different than these people charging and blaming Moses? I think this is so relevant for us in our world right now because many of us are doing the exact same thing. Right now, we are feeling so much stress and anxiety and uncertainty. We just want to lash out and blame anyone that we can. And so we blame school administrators for whatever decision they do or do not make. We blame politicians for whatever decision they do or do not make. We blame CEOs for whatever decision they do or do not make. We blame anyone in any position of leadership so that we can take out our anxiety and our frustration on them. And it makes us feel better to say there's somebody to blame. And almost always we point our finger to the one leading or the one somehow in charge. And to that person in charge, we want to bring charges against them. We're all guilty of it but especially in this pandemic, anxiety-filled time. What do you do when no matter what decision you make, 48% are going to vehemently disagree with you? This is what the Israelites are doing with Moses here this morning. They wanna put Moses on trial. They are angry that Moses has brought them out here. But it's more than Moses. It's not even Moses they're putting on trial. Really, through Moses, they want to put God on trial. The God who led Moses to lead the Israelites out into this, what feels to them, God-forsaken place, and they have had it. So look what it says with me in verse 2 this morning. It says, So they quarreled with Moses, and they said, Give us water to drink. It sounds like a water issue again, but look. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? And then he says, why do you put the Lord to the test? The one they're really trying to put on trial is God. And again, are we much different? The issue really isn't COVID-19. The issue isn't really racial upheaval. The issue isn't really, really political division. The issue isn't really confusion over the opening of the school year, as important as all those issues are. The real issue for us is, God, where are you? In the midst of all of those things, God, why are we here? God, are you present in the midst of our thirstiness, our struggle, our wilderness, our uncertainty, our anxiety? God, where are you? Because if you don't show up, I'm done with you what the Israelites are doing this morning. That's what we do as well. And here's poor Moses. I mean, can, can you just put yourself in his shoes for a moment? I mean, he's just got to be thinking, Lord, what am I supposed to do with these people? I've had it. I want to be done with them. You can almost maybe just picture it or hear it in your, in your head, the voice of Moses. And I'm kind of with Moses in some ways. Like from a human perspective, I, I got to say, I'd be done with these people. Time after time after time, the people complain. Lord, deliver us from Egypt out of slavery into freedom. God does it, they complain. Then, Lord, there's a sea in front of us, an Egyptian army behind us, deliver us. God does it, they complain. They're out in the middle of the desert. They're about ready to starve to death. They cry out to the Lord, 
Provide something to eat. God does it. They complain. This pattern happens over and over and over. And here they are again out in the desert, except now they're thirsty and they call out to God. Are you going to show up, Lord, or not? I mean, at this point, if I'm Moses, with all the grumbling in this pattern that's happened, I would be done with them and finished. And I feel like God should be too. Except look at this. Exodus 17, verses 5 and 6. Look at the response of the Lord. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. What is it that we see here? The people might be done with God, but God is not done with the people. Please hear that today. Even when we are tempted to be done with God and push God away, God is never done with us. God here offers an inexhaustible grace and patience with these people, even when it seems like he should have been done with them. Now, this whole scenario is fascinating this morning. On the one hand, we have this sense of amazing patience on the part of God, but I'm not sure that we really get what's happening here. This is an amazing situation that we hear about, and it's a, it's a situation more high drama than what we probably even realize. People love legal proceedings and legal dramas. If you think back over the years on old television shows and even current series, people are always fascinated with courtroom dramas. Well, we have a major courtroom drama going on here this morning. First of all, look what God says to Moses. He says, take the staff in your hand, take the rod in your hand. Now, this is the same staff with which Moses had struck the waters of the Red Sea and the Red Sea parted. So the people knew that that rod, that staff, was a big deal. But in ancient times, a rod or a staff, it was more than just a stick. It was a symbol of authority. It was a symbol of justice. It was a symbol that the one who carried it, their word was final. Think of it almost like in a courtroom when the, when the judge takes a gavel and hits on the desk. Think of this staff or rod as a holy gavel of sorts. And the one who carries it has authority and is listened to. Their word is final. It's a sense of bringing forth justice and bringing conclusion to whatever situation you might be in. The people would have understood this. So here's Moses carrying the staff or rod, the same one that had split the waters of the Red Sea, symbolizing authority and finality in the situation that they're dealing with. Justice, authority, Moses is carrying it. It's almost like he's acting like a judge in this situation. And at the same time, God says, take these elders with you, Moses. Take them as witnesses, according to verse 5. And once again now, we have a courtroom drama scene. So now we've got the judge carrying the gavel, the rod or staff. We've got witnesses who are present. And now what's going on as this is happening? Think about this. Moses is the one carrying the rod, the staff, the gavel. So that means He's not the one going to be put on trial in this courtroom drama. So he's walking towards the people. And I bet you, Moses, and I bet you those people are thinking, oh, it must be us. We must be the ones on trial. And man, can you just imagine how they would have been shaking in their shoes? Moses is walking towards them with the same staff that had parted the waters of the Red Sea, this symbol of authority and finality. And if Moses isn't being put on trial, and now there are witnesses seeing what's going on, it must be them. 
and they start to shake in their shoes. Only Moses doesn't go to these people. He goes past them, to the front of them. There must have been a collective on the part of the Israelites as they realized, whew, we thought we were on trial. We thought we were going to have to account for all of our grumbling and complaining. Whew. But now imagine the confusion in this courtroom drama. If Moses isn't on trial, because he's acting as the judge, and if the people of God, the Israelites, they're not on trial because Moses walked past them, then, then who's on trial? Look what it says, Exodus chapter 17, verse 6. God says, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. In other words, God is saying, behold, I will stand on trial before you. Oh my. This, this is almost inconceivable. God, who is superior to all, choosing to stand trial before those who are inferior to God. Uh, Tim Keller says it this way. He says it's, it's like the king coming before the commoners. This doesn't happen. God Almighty doesn't put God's self on trial before the commoners. It's, it's staggering in what's happening here. It's, it's almost unfathomable. Now we know who's being tried. God is the one who's going to be on trial. I love the way the New King's James Version, Exodus 17, 17, 6, says it this way. It says, Behold, I'll stand before you on the rock in Horeb, and you'll strike the rock, and water will come out of it that people may drink. Not only is God on trial, God says, I'll be on this rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock. Now picture what's happening here. It's Moses who's holding the symbol of authority and divine justice. And he's being commanded to bring down on the rock this symbol of justice and authority. Where's God standing? On the rock. What does that mean? This divine authority, divine justice, divine judgment, as it were, is coming down on the rock where God is standing, which means it's coming down on God, God's self. What God is saying is, as you bring down this stroke of justice, you're bringing it down on me. Instead of throwing the blame on the people of God, God here is receiving the blame, receiving the justice. What is God doing? God is taking the blame that was meant for us. God's superior is taking the blame of all the inferior who even putting him on trial. You know, if you think about it, what God should have been saying at this point is something like this. You little insects, how dare you talk to me this way? Get on your knees, bow before me now before I crush you. And yet God doesn't. God takes the blame. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4. He says, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. The rock that was struck for the water was Christ. 
Do you remember when Jesus himself was hanging on the cross in the New Testament? One of the things he said, uh, John chapter 19, verse 28, he said, I am thirsty. What's going on? There on the cross, Jesus took our humanity's cosmic thirst upon him. And he took the blow of divine justice and judgment that you and I deserved. He became and was the rock that was struck again. He became the rock out of which living water flowed. What else did Jesus say during his life? John chapter 7, verse 20, uh, 38. He said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Are you thirsty? Are you wondering right now how we can possibly move forward when it seems like there is no way and there is no water? Then come to the rock. Come to the rock out of whom living water flows. May this be a day we open our hearts anew and afresh to receiving the living water of Jesus Christ. And when we put all this together, it really is so incredible. Here in the middle of the desert, it's this high divine drama, a court case of the highest stakes in which God puts God's self on trial instead of blaming the people. Hear that today, church. It's absolutely incredible. Now, as we think about all of this, there's one final thing I want us to catch this morning. Listen to what it says in Exodus chapter 17, verse 6. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. Notice what's happening here. So often the provision that God provides for us comes in the most unlikely of places. So today, where do we see this water come from? Not from a stream, not from a brook, not from a mud puddle, not from a storm with lots of water. There's nowhere water to be found anywhere. Where does the water come from? In the most unlikely of places, from a rock in the middle of the desert in dry, hot conditions. It's almost unimaginable. Not so different from finding salvation through the Son of God who died by himself on a cross between two thieves in the most unlikely and unfair way possible. When it comes to God, God's grace so often flows from the most unlikely of places, the hardest of places. We can certainly experience God's grace in good times, but more often than not, we especially appreciate God's grace in the hard times when life is difficult. Recently in the Lake household, we had a situation that wasn't the most pleasant for us. Uh, one of our cars that we were expecting to go for a long, long time for many more miles was suddenly having a lot of issues and we went and got it checked and we got some of the worst news possible on the front end of the examination, which was it looked like a transmission issue. Now, anytime I hear the word transmission, I think two things, high cost to repair or high cost to get a new car because transmission is bad. So I was preparing myself just you know, for the worst, but we had to get it checked out and we took it to the dealership and they looked at it. And to our shock and surprise, they called us not too long after looking at it and they said, you can come pick up your car. And even more to our surprise, we said, what do you mean? Uh, how much does it cost? And they said, it doesn't cost you anything. We were totally shocked got to the dealership and he said, what happened? And they said, well, there was a part that your car needed, a fairly expensive part. However, that part is covered under warranty up into a certain mileage. Now, unfortunately, your car was just over that certain mileage by about a thousand miles. 
But then they said to us, but we guess the problem has been going on for a while. So we adjusted the number a little bit. And even though you were technically a little bit over the warranty limit, we adjusted the miles to be just under the warranty limit so that it's covered. You don't have to pay anything. The cost was absorbed by the company. Can I tell you how amazingly good it was to hear those words? that a heavy cost we thought we had to endure was now taken on by somebody else. Because in that hard space and that hard time of wondering how are we gonna come up with this, what good and welcome news this was to us. See, the desert, those hard places, those places of conflict, they have a way of refining us and shaping us and opening us up to new things and new ways of God moving in our life. Now, I get it right now in this COVID season, it's not fun. And it can be really hard to wait right now. It can be hard to be patient and imagine what God might have in store for us. But in the midst of our frustration and our complaining and our blaming, we need to pause and ask God, are you really there among us or not? And even more importantly, realize he absolutely is. Every single step of the way, providing every drink, every ounce of living water for our dry and thirsty and complaining and cracked souls. Take heart this day, church. In our Masa, Meribah complaining and prayers, this God meets us and this God offers us living water in the most unlikely of places through his son, Jesus Christ. This God comes and provides exactly what we need. And today, I invite you to come and to drink deeply of the rock, the one who truly satisfies, even in our dry, hot, chaotic, anxiety-filled land and wilderness and culture. How can you drink? Open your heart today to Jesus in a way you never have before. Even if you've walked with Jesus a long time, to say, Lord, I am open in a new and fresh way to you and the living waters will pour forth. I invite you today to invite and experience the Holy Spirit in a way you never have before. Lord, I am open to your Holy Spirit. Come and fill me that your living waters will flow through me. Share daily in God's words of life. They're not just words. They're living water for our soul. And finally today, I wanna to ask you to do one super practical thing. Every day this week for the next week, I wanna ask you to read a set of particular words, powerful words from scripture that God offers to us. Words that we are probably familiar with, but rarely go and just pause on and live on and drink in. The words of the 23rd Psalm. Can I invite you every day this week to read through them slowly in silence or read them slowly out loud or read them repeatedly and as you do, just acknowledge before the Lord, Lord, I am thirsty. Come now and fill, quench my thirst with the living water of your holy words. As we close our time together today, let's even go ahead and begin in that direction. That is a way of quenching our thirst and our complaining and our grumbling and our griping. We can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Lord meets us here and now. The Lord walks with us and the Lord quenches our thirst.
receive this water today, church. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Drink deeply, church.